Well, one of the one of the problems I made in my worst investment that I was that I was overconfident. When you asked me to say what led up to me being overconfident, it was a very good investment in Greek stocks in I think June or July of 2012. But basically. The situation really reminded me of Indonesia uh, during the Asian financial crisis, and that was actually one of the best times ever to invest in Asian stocks when all the bad news is in the price. And I saw that opportunity, the similar opportunity in Greece at the time. So I, I invested in six stocks in Greece, and I made oh, double my money pretty quickly in the next year. Uh, some of the stocks are up over four or five times in the next three years. But just going in, you know, I did so well there in a short period of time, I was looking for something similar. Lo and behold, the Ukraine pops up. Ukraine at the time in 2014 was having a lot of problems. I don't know whether you remember, but there are a lot of protests in, it's called Maidan, which is Maidan. the of Kiev. You could see the stock market going down a lot at the time too. At, the point, at that time, Ukraine had a fairly active market, not really big, but it was still going. Interesting enough, I was in Kiev during the time when you had I don't remember you, if you remember that there was a shooting in, in Kiev. So I had a full week's week of meetings and about half of those were, were canceled just because nobody was going to the office while uh, a lot of stuff was happening in the center of the city. And I can tell you more stories about that later. I never felt like I was in danger. Uh, it was all happening in one specific location. But that's kind of where I was. And when I was there, I was kind of thinking of that old, I think it's the old Rothschild saying, invest when there's blood on the streets. And there was literally blood on the streets. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, out for me very well. I, I did buy six Ukrainian companies. About uh, four of those were listed uh, or are listed still on the Ukrainian stock exchange. And a couple of them are listed on the Polish stock exchange. Long story short, I lost about 65% uh, of my, my money in the next 18 months. And the biggest reason for that loss was the currency. The Grievna was down about 60, 65% against the US dollars when this very competent central banker decided to free the Grievna. It was a very smart move. It didn't help me very much, but it was a very good move for the country. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name's Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Michael McGoy. Mike, are you ready to rock? Let's do it. All right. So let me give the audience a little background. An award-winning analyst, Michael McGoy, has a diverse financial background spanning buy and sell-side equity research, fund of hedge funds, and private equity. He first came to Asia as an exchange student in 1985. My God, that's pretty cool. I came in 1989 for my first trip. And he's been involved with the region ever since, having lived and worked in Beijing, Hong Kong, and Singapore for different companies, including HSBC, the old Crosby Group, and Stonewater Capital. He currently manages a global value fund that looks for companies owned and controlled by quality people, have structures that align minority and my majority shareholders' interests and trade at valuations that are below fair value, if not outright cheap. Mike, take a minute, fill in any further tidbits about your life. No, that's a really good introduction. Thanks a lot. You know, I've been in the region for a long time. I love it a lot. And a lot of what I do is I've, you know, I kind of looked at a lot of markets as they were very new. So, I was one of the first analysts in 
Jakarta in 1989 when that market first opened up for foreign investment. You know, at that point we had 24 stocks listed, about seven of them of which foreigners could invest in. And within what I think three or four years, we had over, I think close to 500, if I'm not mistaken, of which all the stocks were open for foreign investment. So you you had this incredible growth and emergence, not just of the stock market, but also just an Indonesian corporate culture. And I really enjoyed that. What I developed during that time was this, the same kind of methodology that I use now when I invest, where looking back at the emerging markets and what in Indonesia and what's done well and what hasn't done well, it was basically companies that were really controlled and managed by really good people. And there's, I can point your listeners or you, you can, maybe you can put your, um, in the footnotes to the blog, to your blog, uh, a, mm. a link to my blog post that, that explains this. Definitely can. We can definitely do that. And, you know, it makes me think about something that I, I realized very early on, like you're talking about, and that is if you come to Asia expecting that you're going to have professionally owned and managed companies, like what is kind of the ideal in America where you have GE, where there is no major family shareholding. It just doesn't exist in most cases in Asia. So then I always said about Thailand, I always said, you're going to have to invest with a family. Just make sure you pick the right one. And that's what you talked about uh, when we talked before the show. All right. Well, that's a great intro. Now let's, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, and then tell us your story. Well, one of the, one of the problems I made in my worst investment that I, was, that I was overconfident, when you asked me to say what led up to me being overconfident, it was a very good investment in Greek stocks. In, I think, June or July of 2012, the Greek market plunged. You know, there's there the fears when we thought that Greece would leave the EU, the EU would break up, the Greek, Greece would leave get off the euro and go back to the, it was a drachma as their old currency. Um, but basically, the situation really reminded me of Indonesia uh, during the Asian financial crisis. And that was actually one of the best times ever to invest in Asian stocks when all the bad news is in the price. Everybody talks about it, but nobody really does it. So I missed Indonesia. I didn't have very much money during the financial crisis, never got my act together to invest in stocks. But when I was doing my research and looking back over what, what you, how much money you could have made and the knowledge I had at the time, I kind of kicked myself. I didn't want to lose another opportunity. And I saw that opportunity, the similar opportunity in Greece at the time. So I, I invested in six stocks in Greece and I made oh, double my money pretty quickly in the next year. Uh, some of the stocks are up over four or five times in the next three years. But just going in, you know, I did so well there in a short period of time, I was looking for something similar. And lo and behold, the Ukraine pops up. Ukraine at the time in 2014 was having a lot of problems. I don't know whether you remember, but there are a lot of protests in, it's called Maidan, which is the center of Kiev. You could see the stock market going down a lot at the time too. At at that time, Ukraine had a fairly active market, not really big, but it was still going. All the stocks appeared cheap. I thought you'd have a very similar situation as you had in Greece or as in Indonesia in the Asian financial crisis. So I went there. I spent 10 days in Kiev. Interesting enough, I was in Kiev during the time when you had, I don't remember if you remember, there was a shooting in in Kiev. So I had a full week's week of meetings, and about half of those were were canceled just because nobody was going to the office while uh, a lot of stuff was happening in the center of the city. And I can tell you more stories about that later. 
I never felt like I was in danger. Uh, it was all happening in one specific location. But that's kind of where I was. And when I was there, I was kind of thinking of that old, I think it's the old Rothschild saying, invest when there's blood on the streets. And there was literally blood on the streets. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, out for me very well. I, I did buy six Ukrainian companies. About uh, four of those were listed uh, or are listed still on the Ukrainian stock exchange. And a couple of them are listed on the Polish stock exchange. Long story short, I lost about uh, 65% of my, my money in the next 18 months. And the biggest reason for that loss was the currency. The Grievna was down about 60, 65% against the US dollars when this very competent central banker decided to free the Grievna. It was a very smart move. It didn't help me very much, but it was a very good move for the country. And so that's my worst ever investment in uh, mm. so far. Mm. And um, so tell me what, you, uh, what, what did you learn from this experience as you now continue on investing around the world? In fact, we were just talking before the show about where you are, you know, where you've been recently looking at investments. What have you learned from that? I took, there's a lot, of key, a lot of takeaways from that. I guess the first thing is patience. You know, one reason I'd like to go to the country is, you know, you can see the value and do a lot of the research of who's good and bad just by looking at kind of past IPO prospectuses or rights issues prospectuses, reading newspapers, talking to people. But you get a little bit more insight when you go to the country, but you really get a lot of insight in terms of what the exchange rate is when you go there. And so I thought Kiev was not super cheap when I went there, but it wasn't that expensive either. And all the locals were telling me that they think the Grievna would be depreciated. They thought it was fair value. So I was paying about $15, $20 for a decent meal in an okay restaurant. You know, certainly a lot less than I would pay in Hong Kong, but more than what you'd be in a real crisis situation. And there I let, I, I, I was too eager to invest in what, in very, the stocks are very cheap. And I was, I think I was just too eager to do that. Uh, to look at the, to invest in what were, what I thought were be cheap stops and not being patient enough to wait for the currency uh, to move. How would you know? I mean, like when you're looking at whether that was Greece, whether that's Turkey, whether that's, how would you know when it's the right time? You've got to see a huge crash in the currency. I mean, and I asked this also because in Thailand in 1996, everybody said the government's going to defend the currency. It is not going to devalue. So you just mentioned the same type of thing. And then, of course, it did be devalue substantially. You mentioned the same thing about kind of what locals said in the Ukraine. So just curious, how do you think about the currency now? A lot of times I wait for the crash and spend more time looking at it, spending more time on the currency itself. I mean, even talking to senior economists, they say it's very, very difficult to get it right. So now... To give you an example, one of my fund's biggest holdings is in Egypt. The reason I'm investing in Egypt is they've devalued their currency or actually freed their currency almost two years ago now, uh, where it went from about eight Egyptian pounds to the US dollar to 18 is where it is now. And this time I invested after the currency crashed or was freed, I guess you should, could say. Mm. So, you know, I was patient enough to realize, you know, reading the reports, seeing that it was probably coming, uh, spending more time on it. Um, mm. And also I, when I went there, uh, uh, I was actually there when the currency was being devalued. So one day I'm paying $100 for my hotel room, U.S. The next day I'm literally paying $50 for the same hotel. Well, I wasn't because I had already prepaid. <laughs> but uh, if I had not prepaid, the same hotel room would have been 50%. less. But I could Got see it. it in the bills in the hotel. One day my breakfast was $30. The next day it was 15 
And in Egypt, there's a company I remember called Sawadi, I think it's called, I can't remember, but it's a huge construction conglomerate company in Egypt that came up on my world-class benchmarking as one of the top most successful companies in the world. So that's, I've actually been looking at Egypt recently. So, all right. So let, let me summarize a few things that I take away from this. And then you tell me if there's anything to add. The most important thing for the listeners is to remember whenever you're investing outside of your home country, you are investing in two things. When you're investing in your home country and you decide I'm going to invest in GE or whatever that stock is, if you're in the US as an example, you're investing in one thing, that company. But when you're investing outside, whether that's uh, you know, Canada, Asia, wherever, what you're investing in is two things, the company and the currency. And the point is, is that you can get the company right, but the currency wrong, and it can be extremely painful. And I think a lot of people kind of forget about the fact that when you're investing outside of your home country, you really do need to think about, you know, about currency. And I think for the average investor, this is one of the benefits of having to own a fund, like your fund as an example, where the fund manager is thinking about that and therefore they're diversified across many countries. Um, the second thing that I would say is that it's really hard. You can look at some countries, you know, Russia as an example right now, Turkey as an example. We've heard Ukraine, you've heard Greece. The point is, is that you can look at a country and see that it's down and you can get excited like, hey, there's an opportunity here. Just hold on, slow down <laughs> because currencies can fall dramatically. And I'll just give one last thing in relation to that, from my perspective, is that also governments lie. So in Thailand, they did not include the calculations of the forward contracts uh, in the currency calculations. So we were looking at Thailand in 1996 and seeing that there was nearly 40 billion US dollars in, in foreign currency reserves. Everybody said there's just absolutely they can defend the currency. But what we didn't know was they were going into forward contracts and that if we had netted those out, they were down to about $7 billion by the time they were only three or four months away from the crisis. And only a small number of insiders knew that. Majority of people didn't know what was going on. So those are some of the things that I take away. Did I miss anything? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Those are some key things. So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I think, well, patience is the big one. And if you're going to go and uh, look at really cheap assets, uh, look for really cheap assets, it's probably good to wait for the crisis to occur rather than get in before it. So again, going back to Egypt, you know, it, it, and this is where I think ho hopefully, you know, knock on wood, I've learned my lesson. You could see there's a huge on the internet that there was a big difference between the black market rate for the Egyptian pound and the official rate for the Egyptian pound. At the same time, I could see that the stocks were already super cheap, even before the currency devaluation. So I was really itching to go in there, uh, but this time I stuck to my guns and did what I could. Bit my was it bit, bit your fingernails or bit your hand uh, <laughs> to, to bit not. Your tongue. Bit your tongue, yeah, uh, before, get, before actually pulling the trigger. Yeah, and I think uh, a point about that is that currencies are likely to collapse much more fast than they are to recover. So if you happen to miss it, it's not like it's going to double you know, in a month, I would suspect. So That's a great point, yeah. Yeah, okay. A lot of the emerging markets. For sure, yeah. 
All right. Well, there you have it, listeners. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risks, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Mike, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just one. I, I wrote up a lot of, I, I made other mistakes in Ukraine, and there's a blog that I wrote about all the problem, the mistakes that I did make there. Um, mm. So if you're, I don't know how you get your this information to your listeners, but if you can put that on your links, that might be something they might like to see so they could learn from, from my own uh, mistake. Absolutely. We're going to put that on the show notes so that you can go to it and click on it and you'll be able to see not only mistakes, but successes and Mike's life. So that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.